0: Again, I welcome everybody, uh, to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. It is wonderful to have you with us this morning. Hope you can, uh, I hope you got your Bible, grab your Bible and grab a little time, a cup of coffee, whatever you need and pull on up to the table and let's, uh, let's take a, a look at, uh, another quick look at God's Word here. Today's study will be study number 51. Uh, in our series Angels and Giants Factor Fiction and the date stamp for today is twenty two Then uh yeah, yes the year is getting gone. It, it amazes me every time I see the date every week about uh that's when I stop and think about how late in the year it is. Then uh it just amazes me. Our purpose in this uh, study series is to investigate uh, the angels and giants mentioned in scripture, and by by doing that, alleviate or trying to alleviate some of the confusion that some scripture verses seem to generate surrounding angels and giants. And uh, I think we're going to go, we're going to see one of those toward the end of my study today that tends to, at least from my viewpoint, it tends to cause people uh, a lot of confusion and consternation um, with. Um, certain aspects and understandings of angels, I believe. Uh last week we looked at at angels as they're spoken of by Paul in the book of Hebrews. Uh notably we looked at the the ten references out of twelve in the entire epistle of Hebrews. Uh, we looked at the ten references that are that are mentioned in chapters one and two. And uh, I will reiterate again our our quick run through Hebrews one and two last week, in no way did it justice. Uh, my admonition uh, would be for everybody uh if you just want to get your your wes- your whistle wet about uh, looking at Hebrews one and two, go back and listen to the study um, once we get it posted and I, I hope to get some uh, recordings to chip today so that we can update the the website, but go back and listen to that one again just as a springboard. Uh, to do your own study in Hebrews one and two, because the depths of what God, uh, reveals through the apostle Paul to the Hebrews, uh, there in Hebrews one and two is absolutely astounding. And, um, it needs to be, it needs to be known by us, um, probably as much as it did to the Hebrews, although it was written directly to them by the Apostle Paul, I believe, early in the Acts period. And that's what we're trying to do. is take a dispensational look at angels here. Um and in doing so I want to try to keep stay in one dispensation like we skipped over Colossians and went to Hebrews and I'll be in we're going to jump on over to first Peter today for a couple of verses in First Peter. Uh, but I'm trying to do the kingdom references to angels first. And then we'll, lastly, we'll go over where we are today with angels and Paul's last seven books that dispensationally were written for the church, the body of Christ. And these books are literally to us, not just for us as all scripture is, but these books are not only for us, but they are to us as well. Paul's last seven epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Titus, Philemon, first and second Timothy. Those are the books the prison epistles, the post-Acts epistles, the the epistles that reveal the truth regarding the mystery of the church, the body of Christ, and our marching orders for today. And angels are treated differently. And I'll give you a, a spoiler alert that angels are referenced and uh, our admonitions toward angels are different than they were during the kingdom dispensation, because angels were minute or were appointed to minister to the to the nation of Israel during the Acts period. Even when the Gentiles are being grafted into the hope that they were to receive, minute angels had a large part of that ministry. And the fact last week is we read um or or that we're going to read today is uh is kind of um a testimony to that. So read with me. Turn with me if you would. Uh enough introduction. Let's get into the word. Hebrews chapter twelve. Let's look at the last two references. The first one's in Hebrews twelve and the second out of uh the two out of the entire twelve in the epistle of the Hebrew to the Hebrews that we're going to look at uh, today are in uh, the last two are in twelve and thirteen. So I'm going to start. Let's start with Hebrews twelve one to get the gist and the context of what Paul's talking about here, and I'll continue on to the last reference of angels in Hebrews, which is in chapter thirteen verse two. Now, when we pick up with Hebrews twelve, everybody knows what Hebrews eleven is all about, right? What is Hebrews eleven? Well, Ronnie, it's the great faith chapter. Certainly it is. Paul not only defines what faith is in the first couple of verses in chapter 11, but then he goes and he he presents this great cloud of witnesses, he calls them. And these witnesses are demonstrable people, people who down through history, the the history of the Hebrew people and the history of what God has done, With, you know, for them down through their history. It's the history of faith. These people demonstrated faith. It says of Abraham, he believed God and that was counted unto him for righteousness. That's what God looks for in a believer is faith. Faith in his word. Faith that God is who God says he is. Faith that God can do what God says he can do and that's that's what Hebrews 11 is all about. So as we pick up here with Hebrews twelve one, I want you to keep that in mind and and I want you to understand that that Hebrews 11 is what talks about this great cloud of witnesses. That's uh I mean we even have books, I believe at TFT one of them is called Great Cloud of Witnesses. It's a it's a commentary. not remember which one did it whether it was Boonder or Welch. But it's—I think it was bullinger. It's a commentary on Hebrews 11, which is absolutely fantastic. So Hebrews 12:1, let's read. Remember, this is after Paul mentions all these faithful people. He says, "Wherefore, or on account of this, basically, seeing we are also we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses." Talking about the faithful mentioned in Hebrews 11, since we're surrounded basically by this wonderful great cloud of historic witnesses that that he's just mentioned. He said, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patient continuance the race that is set before us. And let me tell you, it's with us as it was these Hebrews. This patient continuance is, I know your, your Bible says patience, but the the real definition of that in the Greek is like a, a patient continuing. Uh, having patience is one thing, but having patience and continuing to have patience while you're doing a certain thing is a little bit different. So It's a little harder, a little bit, bit different scenario. This patient continuance, the race, and this race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. The race that we're running is going to last for the rest of your life as long as you breathe air. It ain't a sprint, y'all. It's definitely a marathon. No, and that's why the patient continuance is so necessary.
1: I think seeing is, it's caused us to want things now. Yeah, it it it's, it's it not. robs
0: us of our patience. Yeah. We are we are creatures. We're drive through creatures. Yeah. Give me my give me what I want right now. Yeah. I am and I'm not and I'm as bad as anybody. I am not interested in waiting. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to get what I need right now. Yeah. You know, the patient continuance is a it's a difficult concept. <laughs> and I've noticed that kids Or even worse than we are. Sometimes. So he said, let us run with patient continuance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, verse 2. The author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Christ endured the cross because he could see at the other side of that cross the joy that was set before him. Isn't that something? That's something to contemplate. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now, you could almost put now in there, and is set down at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Man. That's some. He is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, Paul says, verse 3. Now remember, the whole object of the game of the book of Hebrews to the Hebrews was to get them to accept Christ for who he was. That's what Paul's goal is and why he didn't sign it. His name was not the the most popular in the world at the time. And I believe that he didn't taint the book by signing his name to it in the minds of the people. Not that I believe it would have tainted it. But in some people's mind, they might have looked and said, Oh, Paul wrote this. I'm not even going to read it. And they'd slam it shut. No interest in this apostle Paul. He's crazy. He says in verse three, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. He said, You have not he, he said, Consider this Christ that endured all this. He said, I want you to think about this for a second. And then he reminds them, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You haven't shed your blood yet, striving against sin like Christ did. That's why he says, I want you to consider what he did here for a second. You ain't put your blood on the line yet like he did for sin. It's what Paul is reminding them of here. Pretty amazing. Verse five, he said, "Well, Ronnie, what does this got to do with angels?" Well, <laughs> we're getting there. We're leading up to the reference to angels in verse twenty-two, and then we'll hit it again at thirteen-two. So don't don't lose track of where we're going. Although it's a it's a there's a lot of roses to snuff along the way, and that's pretty much true of anywhere where you open the book of Hebrews. Let me tell you, or anywhere you open the scripture. Period. But man, Hebrews is, Hebrews is power packed with truth regarding the hope of Israel and, and Christ, the importance of the finished work that Christ did. He says in verse five, and, and had, and ye had forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And this is from Proverbs three. Paul is going to quote from Proverbs three eleven and twelve, where he says, "My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth." Huh. Now I'll be the first to admit, and my uh my chastener is. Oftentimes back when I was a kid is sitting here with me this morning. And I will admit that as I was getting the whipping, I didn't really see the good in that. It was kind of difficult while you're receiving the chastening to really understand why you're getting it. But you know, here in my, uh, here in my 63rd year, looking back, I'm thankful for everyone that I got. And I, I look around at the world that we've ended up with, and I wish that a lot more had got what I got. To be honest with you, because let me tell you what y'all, we're in trouble. This world that that is around us, <laughs> it's got where I can't watch the news. It is awful, absolutely awful, and I don't know how much worse it can get before we absolutely bottom out, but I tell you, it makes me think of, I'm thankful for every whooping I got, because I needed them. Because it's that chastening that keeps you, as as he's about to say, keeps you from being a bastard. As one who is not loved, as one who has no father, and that's what the reference for that is. You know, it's almost as if if you don't raise the child right, chasing him when he needs chastening, you're not doing him any favors. Let me let me just tell you that right up front. You're setting him up for failure as he gets older. Very few can recover themselves from thinking that they are the center of the universe as they grow up. I'll I'll tell you that right now. For whom verse six for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Well, I tell you what, I want to be loved by the Lord, even if it were even if it requires a chastening. He said, If you endure chastening, verse seven, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Well, I just talked about that. The son that the father chasteneth not is one that is not going to be very productive. In, for God or society or anybody except himself. He will be a self-centered individual who will go about doing whatever he's got to do to pleasure himself. He said in verse eight, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Oh, ouch. Ouch, enough said. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. And he's talking these fathers of our flesh were their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's twelve sons, the prophets. These are the fathers of our flesh which corrected us as he says. He says if we gave them reverence shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? He said if we gave the fleshly fathers subjection we better listen to these we better listen to the spirits. The father of spirits. Who is the father of spirits? Well it's the Lord God of heaven. Better listen to the Father of Spirits and live, Paul says. He says in verse ten, for they verily for a few days talking again, I believe, about the uh, about people. the earthly fathers, yeah, he said, for about they barely Yeah, they, they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure or according as it seemed good to them, is basically what that term means. He says, but He, the Lord of Spirits, the Father of Spirits, He chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Not that hard to, really not that hard to understand, is it, when you read through it? When you understand what the the Apostle Paul's trying to say and why he's saying it. He says in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember some of the spankings I got, or whoopings as we call them here in the in the south. They, there's varying levels of it. There's a spanking, and then the next level is whipping, and then the level after that is a whooping. Mama gave spankings and whippings. Pop gave whoopings. And I remember most of them pretty vividly. <laughs> Tony, I bet you do too. I see you laughing at me. But he says, and in the, and this verse is so true. At the moment that you're getting it, it is not joyous. I will admit that. It is no fun to get chastened. But it's a necessary evil. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Yeah, that's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, see, it's the the chastening is necessary to bring about what happens after the fact. That's what's important. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That's a good way of saying that someday you're going to appreciate this, and it's it's true. He says in 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Talking to the Hebrews now. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. He says in 14, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Holiness. Holiness. That sanctification, that, that reverence without which no one shall see the Lord. You got to have reverence and humility. He says, looking diligently, verse 15, here's the prize, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby, he says, many. Be defiled. Looking diligently, study to show thyself approved. Same word, I believe. Yeah. Be diligent. Looking diligently, being diligent, all the same thing here, all toward the prize. Verse sixteen. Well, he, he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. And then he rolls right in to saying, uh, let me put this on pause here for a minute. Well, I guess he remembered we're doing the study. Verse six, he rolls right into verse 16. And it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Well, as opposed to the faithful cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 holds the example of one who was not so faithful. One who, for one morsel of meat, he said, sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance Though he sought it carefully with tears. Later on, when Esau realized what he had done, evidently Paul says, couldn't find any way to repent, even though he looked for it and sought it with tears. Sorry that he did it.
1: He couldn't get it back.
0: Regret, the regret was there, and you couldn't get the. You couldn't get it back. That bullet had done left the gun. That word had done left the mouth. Can't get them back. Verse 18. Paul says, For you are not come. And this is in reference to the new covenant here. In comparison to the old. Paul says, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burn with fire, nor unto blightness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, And The voice of words. And and all these are, this is a history lesson back to when God literally came down to the mountain and spoke to the people directly. When God's voice boomed forth from heaven. And let me tell you, evidently for those that were there, that wasn't a lot of fun either. To stand in the presence of the Almighty Creator. Is an humbling experience and how the nation of Israel did what they did after seeing what they see. And who knows, I might have done the same thing, but holy cow. The sound of a trumpet. Let's read on in verse 19, Hebrews 12, sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more i'm going to tell you this once for they could not endure verse 20 is a, in a parenthetical insertion here is they the people could not endure that which was commanded and if so much as a beast touched the mountain it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart wow there's no Not a lot of grace in this, y'all. Not a lot of grace. Verse twenty-one. And so terrible was the sight, Paul said, that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. God said Moses was a man after his own heart. And yet when God came down to the mountain and did what he did in the sight of the nation of Israel, even Moses said, "I exceedingly fear and quake. God scares me to death." Moses said,
1: "Man, even though he's loved, even
0: though he knew how tight he and God were, he said he still scares me. He has, he, he gets has, my attention.
1: He has life and death in his hands. He
0: does, and Moses realized that." You see, the what I want you to see is the comparison. Paul says in verse 18, For ye are not come. Hebrews, let me tell you, you are not come unto all this that you've seen before, that we've just looked at in these these few verses. The voice of, the terrible, exceedingly ominous voice of God booming down from the heavens and all these rules and Regulations and being afraid to move that goes with it. Paul said, you are not come unto that, but ye are come. Look at verse 22. Here's the comparison. You are not come to this, but ye are come. He says, I want you to emphatically see that. And 22 is our, is our verse with the angels. That's why I don't want you to miss it. There's a comparison here between what the Hebrews are not come to and what the Hebrews are come to. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Ah, a little prophecy here. And unto the city of the living God. What is that? The heavenly Jerusalem. Not the earthly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. You can read about this in Revelation. It's the bride that comes down from God out of heaven and rests on the earth. Paul said, you're not come to that old way of dealing with God, but you are come unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company Of angels. They are still there with God. This cloud of angels that can't even be counted. Paul calls them innumerable. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and countless thousands of them that God created before he ever even created the earth. Job mentions that this cloud of angels sang for joy the day the earth itself was created. They sang for joy at what God had done for them in giving them a place to dwell like a gift. Think about that for a moment. I'm talking about the primal creation of God, the first things that God ever created. Because even as we went through Genesis, you can't find it mentioned in Genesis where God created the angels. It just ain't there. But when you get to chapter 3, all of a sudden now we're dealing with one that doesn't seem to be quite so in tune with the Creator. This Lucifer, the son of the morning. Satan. And he just appears. You don't know where he comes from. If you just open the Bible and begin reading Genesis, you've got no clue where he comes from. you got to go to Ezekiel and Isaiah and Revelation. You've got to go to a lot of other books to collect what you're going to know about this being. And then we find out here in Hebrews that he's one of probably gazillions of them. That existed in the heavens. Most of them are still there. About a third of them are
1: not. Well, two of them came to Sodom, we know. Yeah. And look what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, just two. Just Just two. I don't know, I don't know if they were more there that wasn't seen, but the two was the two important ones that come.
0: Made the judgment.
1: And, 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 and left God talking basically to God in his tent and they went on to Sodom. Yep. And look what happened.
0: Yep. When they got there and all the stuff they went through with Lot, remember they was in Lot's house and, and Lot tried to send out his daughters and all that. No, we don't want the women. We want those, we want those beautiful men that are in there. Send them out here. And then we all know the rest of the story. We know exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. And see, Lot's wife looked back. I don't know if she was looking back because that was her home or what, but the fact was or whether she was involved in all that stuff or not. But she didn't make it.
0: Yep. She became a pillar of salt. Yes. Just because of the judgment of God judgment of God in those days was different and more severe than uh, the understanding of grace that we have in the current dispensation. And that's not that hard to see. I mean, people can climb the highest mountain and shake their fist and cuss God all they want to. Nowadays, nothing happens.
1: Well, it seems like we're kind of heading back. Uh
0: Uh-huh. I would agree. To an innumerable company... Of angels. I wanted you to see that. I wanted you to understand that in the heavens, they've always been there. They predate us. They existed on the earth before us. The earth was their home before it was cast into the water and brought forth and restored and Adam created and the earth given to man. And he lost it to that angel, that Satan. And it's still our home. In the flesh. But it's not our home in the spirit. Remember that. He said you are come to an innumerable company of angels. Hebrews. To the general assembly. And assembly. Of the firstborn. Which were written in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits. Of just man made perfect. And that being made perfect there is in resurrection. This refers to a future event. And you need to I'm not going to get all into this today, but check out Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 4. This is, I believe, the first resurrection going on here. This uh, all these spirits of just men made perfect. Men are only made perfect by resurrection. They have to be resurrected. So you're come to the city, you're come to the general assembly and the assembly of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and you are come to Jesus. Wow. The mediator of a new covenant, a kanos a new covenant, not the old, but the new, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things, Than that blood of Abel. Wow, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ in the holy place in the heavens spoke way better things than the sprinkling of the or the spilling of the blood of Abel into the dirt. Remember Cain and Abel. Remember what happened to Abel. And God said, "Abel's blood cried to me from the ground." All that would not be now because of what had taken place at the hands of Cain. Amazing. <clears throat> Paul said, see that ye refuse not him. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Wow. Wow whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised. Who promised? God does. He hath promised saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. And he says in this word, verse 27, Yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made that those things which are not to be shaken may remain. There remains yet, y'all, a violent shaking of the earth. This old earth has been through a lot. Well, let me tell you what. This old earth has a lot yet to happen, according to what I read in Scripture. A lot of shaking, a lot of upheaval, a lot of calamity, a lot of burning up. There's a lot going to happen to this earth in, in God's future. A lot. Yeah. We are not done, let me tell you. It ain't over. It is not over.
1: Now, all these plates that have been moved away from each other and all this, all that's got to come back into place.
0: All the groaning and travailing, you're right. That incidentally, in verses 26 and 27, was quoted from Haggai chapter 2, 6 and 7. That's not a book that we see very many quotes from. Haggai. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. When he says, Yet once more, means that it is still yet to come. Yet once more, God says. It says, That signifies the removing of those things that are shaken in spite of the things that will remain and not be shaken. God can remember separating of the, the sheep and the goats. Yep. God can separate what he needs to separate. He said, Wherefore, in verse 28, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, he said, Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God, as Peter mentions in Second Peter 3, is a consuming fire. God has promised that he will not yet again destroy the earth with water. Because that would be the third time which will ratify it as... In my mind, it would ratify it as a perfect work. And God said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to stamp it with the number three. You had the overthrow and the catavole between... Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Then you had the flood of Noah. Genesis 6 and 7 and 8. God said at the end of Noah's flood, remember what he did? He put that rainbow up there as the token of the covenant where he said, I will not destroy the earth the third time with water. But God is a consuming fire. And that is going to play into some of this that is to come later. So let's go on down to 13.2 and then we'll, we'll see how much of he, uh, Peter we can get into today. 13.1 says, so Paul says as a result of that, let brotherly love continue. Then he says this, he throws this verse in here for us to think about. And I, I literally don't mean to sound like the scriptures thrown together because it's not. But to me, it's kind of a curveball. He says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, he says. For thereby, or by doing that, some have entertained angels unawares. And this unawares let me go back to, I want to give you this word here so you'll know it. Hebrews thirteen two. This unawares is the Greek form lanthano. And it means uh to lie hid, literally or figuratively. And it's often used adverbially, unwittingly. Uh, To be hid or to be ignorant of or unawares. So Paul says, don't forget to be nice to everybody. Because in doing this, some people have at times been talking to angels or entertaining an angel and didn't even know it. There were angels infiltrating, I believe, the believers, the assemblies in those days that reported what they knew back as, as if God couldn't know it. But he that's what I'm trying to stress that in God's planned purpose, part of that plan and purpose in dealing with the nation of Israel was to employ an angelic element to accomplish that. If that were not so, Paul would not have had to say what he said here in hebrews thirteen two If there were not angels among the people, this verse is wasted. I'm just making the point. Think about it. Why would you have to say this unless it was the truth? Well, Paul, be careful, folks. He says yeah.
1: Paul was in Ephesus, and Ephesus was a great city that the world basically came to, to do business with and stuff like that. And everybody from all other places showed up. How would you know that one of them was?
0: You wouldn't. Was That's up what up I there. say. He's some, some have entertained. Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Jack, Jack brought that up in his notes that Paul stayed in Ephesus a long time. Uh, uh, Several him, years, yeah. Him. For he him, it was a while, yeah. Okay. And, and that was a situation there to where he had the advantage of being able to speak, to talk with people from everywhere that he might not have been able to go to. They were there doing business. Right. Maybe. And, and, and here may be what. Yeah, what he he
0: certainly stirred up a stink in Ephesus. Remember, they all, when they started bringing all the books. Yeah. The, the curious arts and they had a big bonfire and yes. burned all these and, and the ones that were all into that man, they got all bent out of shape about
1: it. Yeah. And, and all the people that were doing wanted there, to have him killed uh, uh, building these little shrines. Yeah. All this kind the of shrines things. for Diana. Yeah. The
0: great goddess Diana. Yeah. I remember
1: all that. Okay. So, y- you know, he, he understood then, I think by what, and, in here in the acts period, That that's gonna be important somewhere down the road. Yeah. For him. Absolutely. So here it is.
0: I agree. He said, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, people that you don't know. Huh. For therefore or thereby some have entertained angels unawares.
1: And that would have been during that time because the angels certainly were big in, in that. And in I that.
0: think it would have been not so good for a believer to have uh, mistreated an angel unawares. No. I don't know where that would have led. It you know, begs the question, though. You yeah. see the ellipsis here yeah. to what we're talking about. Very interesting. So I'll leave that one with you to think about. It's a very interesting book. And that entertained uh, is inizo. It means to be a host um, by implication to be, uh, to entertain or lodge in that sense. It's to entertain or to put somebody up or just to be hospitable to somebody.
1: This kind of goes back to Acts 17. They told them, you built you built these monuments and these things to... To so a God you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, does that not...
0: It kind of goes along with it. It might yeah. not be. Sure right. does. I'm so trying to see. Yeah. Entertain angels unawares. Very interesting statement. So that, and that wraps up the usages of angels in Hebrews, uh, in the book of Hebrews. That's all 12 of them. And hopefully you got a lot out of that. Uh, I know I'm, I'm probably up against my time period here this morning. Uh, turn with me for just a couple of minutes over to the book of first Peter. We'll move from Hebrews over to 1 Peter, although I'm sure there's a lot more discussion to be had concerning Hebrews and the verses that were there. Uh, I want to read, uh let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and the angels are mentioned in verse 12. I want to read verses 1 through 13 of 1 Peter. And I love this example of Peter. If you wonder who Peter wrote this book to, wonder not. Because he tells you in the very first verse. If you say that dispensationalism is nuts, that there's no need to rightly divide, look to see who wrote it, who it was written to, why it was written. If all these things don't matter, why does Peter waste an entire verse in the Scripture, or two verses in the Scripture, to tell you who he's writing to? You see my point. The point about rightly dividing. It says Peter, I'm in First Peter chapter 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Two, these are the addressees. It's as if he's writing their address on the envelope when he sends the letter. to the strangers, and these strangers are... Still Jews, but they were Jews that were scattered across all these nations by the various captivities that they were taken into. To strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect. Ah, there's the, there's the key. The elect are the Israelites during the, during the Acts period. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you all, unto you, and peace be multiplied. Peter says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from, of Jesus Christ from the dead." Wow. To an inheritance. Ah, seems like Paul talked about this a little bit. We have an inheritance. Peter says. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Ah, remember Paul talking about a heavenly city? Sounds familiar, does it not? Sure does. The heavenly city. Who are kept, verse 5, by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, verse 6, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Kinda has the same theme that Paul was going over when he wrote to the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Peter goes on and says in verse 7, That the trial of your faith... Oh, you mean there's a little testing to the faith? Sure is. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing... And this word is actually not a good translation... This is the this is the word apocalypse literally should be uh coming. It should say uh, correctly translated at the coming of Jesus Christ, not at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And you see how the translation can insert a little confusion if you let it. Mm-hmm. Verse eight Who having not seen ye love in whom Though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's where the song came from. I know if you've been to a Baptist church, you've sang joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember, full of glory. Everybody remembers that. Receiving the end of your faith, verse 9, even the salvation of your spirits of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time, verse 11, the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The prophets, when they even said these things, were a little... Taken back by them. And it said that these prophets uh, have inquired, they inquired and searched diligently about these things that were forespoken of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read down through uh, verse 13 here. Unto whom, verse 12, it says, it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, That they, or, or that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Did you know that this innumerable company of angels have a lot of questions about what their fate is going to be when the Son of God is revealed again in the heavens? Because right now as the heavens sit, the Son of God is hidden, God. He will be manifested in the heavens in the day of Christ. And guess who's going to be there as part of his body when he's manifested? Yep, you're listening to him. And a lot of you, or all of you, will be there at the same time I am. When Christ is manifested in the heavens, we will be manifested with Him in glory. Praise God. Amen. But these angels that are there desire to know. You remember what was it um, Paul when he was scolding the Corinthians? Remember what he said? Do you not know that you will judge angels? Do you think the angels don't have a a little bit of a vested interest in knowing all these details. They certainly do. And that's what Peter reiterates here in verse 12. He said, "Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things that gospel that was sent down from heaven are the things which the angels desire to look into. So Peter says this, and we'll close for today. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end. Remember, it's always a marathon, not a sprint. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation, the apocalypse, I believe, of Jesus Christ. Which is what the other word should have been if it would have been translated correctly. And we'll stop there. Hopefully you got a little bit out of this. Man, I certainly did. And I tell you, every one of these, every one of these uh, studies are just more of a blessing to me than I can even imagine. And I hope they are to you as well. Let me stop the recorder here and we'll close.